Hello, and welcome back to BZ Listening. I'm your host, BZ Douglas, and wow, um, a lot has happened since my last episode. Uh, let's see, um, well, Bernie dropped out, um, a global pandemic broke out, uh, which caused the economy to fall off a cliff. A national uprising is against the police is in full swing. And on a personal note, as of last Friday, I am officially a published journalist. So, yeah, I mean, the show's been on hiatus largely due to the fact that I basically went into a state of just shock and despair for a few months as I tried to reckon with how radically reality had shifted in the last couple months. Uh, but it was George Floyd's murder and the national outrage that ensued that just really finally, you know, snapped me out of it. Um, so anyway, two weeks ago, I came across a Reddit post that was calling into question the authenticity of um, this organizer of a Tamir Rice event here in Cleveland. And long story short, I ended up catching the guy uh, flat out lying about his relationship with Tamir's mother, Samaria, among several other things, some of which I couldn't even put in the article. Um, and so I, I, yeah, and I wrote up an article exposing his deception and it got picked up by Cleveland Scene. So for more on the story behind that story, uh, you can check out an interview I did with Brent Langle on his YouTube channel. It's titled Beware Shady Activists, and I'll, I'll go ahead and link that in the show description. And throughout the course of that investigation, uh, I connected with Kareem Henton. He's a co-founder of Black Lives Matter Cleveland. And I reached out to him in order to shine a light on the, the really authentic and effective work that they're doing and to provide protest newbies with uh, a bit of advice on how to determine where their time, money, and, and, and attention would best be spent in support of the movement for black lives. So Kareem joins me today to discuss what first roused him to activism, how BLM functions as an organization, both nationally and locally, and what his greatest hopes and fears for are for the outcome of this national protest movement. Please check the show description for links to donate to BLM CLE and some other important organizations recommended by Kareem. And if you have any extra dollars to spare, uh, please consider supporting me on Patreon. I decided to take the leap and quit my full-time job in order to pursue journalism as a new career. You know, I mean, pff, it's bucket list time, baby. Everything's falling apart. And, and this has been a dream of mine for a while. And in the last week, I really, I got a lot of good encouragement and, 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 just felt that this was this was the leap I needed to take right now. Um, so I'll still be building websites uh, as a freelancer. If that's something you need, you can reach out to me on that. Um, but ultimately, the only way I can really pull this off and just remain completely independent will be with reader support. Uh, I'm all about those small donations, you know, the Bernie way, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, if you can only throw a dollar a month, uh, it's really helpful for me to just build up numbers and show some support so that I can uh, stay on this path, which I really love the work and it, and it really feels meaningful compared to the, the kind of bullshit I had to do for, I've had to do for a full-time job for quite some time. 
So uh, that's enough from me. Uh, thank you so much for 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 listening, watching, wherever you're you're, you're catching this. And uh, now my interview with Kareem Henton. I'm speaking with uh, Kareem Henton, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Cleveland. I want to thank you so much for taking the time with me here. Um, just off the bat, so I want to get into a lot of things with Black Lives Matter, uh, the organization, and some of the specific stuff that brought us in contact. Um, but off the bat, I wanted to know, what's your origin story as an activist? Huh, interesting. So um, for me, um, what made me uh, get into, I guess, what I would call just advocacy originally was uh, just, um, if, if you recall, uh, there were, um, so it was, I guess, the 137 shots incident, um, as well as what happened to Tamir Rice. Um, if you recall, um, Michael Zone, uh, city councilman, uh, had what he called the listening tour. And one of the things that uh, community listening tour, and so he was taking that traveling road show around the city where city council pretended to listen and to care. And uh, because, you know, they were doing much, you know, of like what you see now where all of a sudden, you know, Frank Jackson wants to have this stuff because, you know, there's a lot of outrage and, you know, resentment coming from the community. And so to put out the fire, you know, they're, they're doing this uh, fake community engagement. And so uh, Mike, Mike Zone, I mean, Matt Zone um, did these and I felt compelled to come out and just uh, give a point of view that I think was not being uh, given. Um, I heard everyone when they were talking about uh, Timothy Russell and Melissa Williams, you know, there were a lot of comments talking about, you know, they shouldn't have ran and things of that nature. And, you know, I found that problematic because even the people that were against what happened to them, they were allowing that to go unchecked. Because see, the problem was they didn't run. Only one person was driving. And the person who was a passenger could have actually been a hostage, but they never waited to find out. They opened fire and killed them both because it's not like Melissa could have jumped out when they're going at a, a, a decent rate of speed, plus you've got a caravan of cop cars behind you that would run you over. And so what was she gonna do? So when he finally stopped in East Cleveland, you know, they opened fire on him, unleashed those 137 shots. And I felt that folks were missing the point. While I don't believe that uh, Timothy Russell should have been filled with lead um, and, and murdered the way that he was, that, he, that they did him, you know, but it definitely shouldn't have happened to her. There should have been an attempt to negotiate or to at least assess the situation. But because it was, you know, two black bodies, they weren't deemed worth anything. And so as a result, you know, that happened. So I just felt compelled to come out and have my, get my point of view uh, heard. And um, really, to be honest with you, I haven't stopped coming out ever since. I, uh, but I had the pleasure of linking up with uh, the dynamic uh, Latanya Goldsby, um, linking up with 
the awesome and dynamic um, Ryan Brown, uh, who's no longer here in Cleveland, but she remains a member, a part of the team. You know, she's one of the three co-founders, including myself, of uh, BLM Cleveland. But then also, I uh, had the pleasure of meeting uh, an awesome woman by the name of Elle Hearns. And uh, Elle just, you know, was a part of BLM, um, the BLM network, you know, um, and uh, so she was like a part of the bigger movement. And she was here in Cleveland. She's uh, from Cleveland, was living in Columbus, and just was here at the time. And so, you know, we hooked up and, you know, I was making some inquiries and we were, you know, I, I, I was being introduced to them. It just seemed like a good fit. And so BLM Cleveland was born. Yeah, I wanted to ask about because um, I've had questions since um, I wrote an article and, and, and I've uh, referenced you and I've had um, friends ask me in general, like about the organizational nature of Black Lives Matter. And, and I've sort of described it as it's, it's a bit confederated, you know, every there's a bit of autonomy with chapters and things like that. But I wanted to know, I noticed that Cleveland isn't on like the blacklivesmatter.com, their national map, and they have these criteria for how you be, become a chapter as far as like a, being a legal entity and, and things like that. Um, I wanted to know if you could elaborate on that for people who are confused and, and part of this goes to, from what I've read online from different like, uh, activist postures or, or, or things like that, that there are different, um, some Black Lives Matter chapters have more credibility than others in certain cities, it seems. Right. So, you know, so for starters, just understand that, you know, our, we were once on that, um, on the website and listed as one of the uh, official chapters. Um, we remain, you know, affiliated and loyal, but in order to uh, preserve a certain amount of uh, autonomy and to really tailor much of what we do to what goes on here in Cleveland and allow us to, when necessary, abstain from certain things and, and, and just focus on what's going on here locally, we chose the route that we chose. But, you know, no, there, there's no bitterness, no resentment. I mean, you know, whenever folks come into town, you know what I mean? We, we, we you know, we hook up or at least we're in contact. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? Just, but we're, the fact is that, you know, we just made the conscious decision um, to do this because, you know, you have to keep in mind, you know, there are things where, that the national might want to do that we might not be aligned with. You know, um, I know here in Cleveland, we weren't going to endorse Hillary Clinton, for example. Um, so, you know, when you, we didn't and we wouldn't. And so, you know, so when you have instances like that, that's when, you know, that autonom autonomy comes in. So we wanted to be able to do that. Um, we wanted to be able to, um, if there were national campaigns, while we support them, we wanted to be able to um, determine the degree of which we supported certain national campaigns, you know. Um, and so thus far, we've been able to do that. And, you know, but mostly our focus is here locally. Um, and uh, that has benefited, you know, us well in the sense that, you know, 
while we're already stretched thin, we're not stretched as thin as possibly we could be because we are focused here, um, you know, uh, locally and, you know, it, uh, you know, the city of Cleveland and the greater Cleveland area, they need us and we want to be here for them. And I think that's the better way for us to be able to do that. So can you walk me through how your, your methodology for planning an action or protest is, as far as how do you decide what and when an action should, should occur, like what it should be and when it should happen. And um, we can start there and I, I can go deeper into other things. So, I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you. So much of it is very, it's very fluid. You know what I mean? It's, it's not that you have a, we have just a playbook because, you know, some just things are differently. So sometimes you, what you have to do is just assess the situation. So a lot of times what you'll find is, especially here um, in Cleveland, that there is a, uh, there's low turnout to a lot of times to things. Hmm. Um, because we live in a city that off, that just has lost faith in the system. Um, and so a lot of folks, protest doesn't work. That's how they are. So you something, so we had to adjust and not, and, 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 and accept the fact that we're not going to always be able to draw out hundreds or even thousands of people every time that we want to, um, bring attention to get, have support of, and protest a certain issue. So what we would do, so what we know is, for example, well, the other way we can affect folks is their jobs. So if it's an election season, well, we know, therefore, as much um, negative press as we can possibly give them, as well as as much uh, just attention to the issue so that this is a recurring thing, perhaps during a campaign season, you know, those things are definitely effective because what we're doing is we're affecting their chances of an election or re-election. Um, we are also possibly, depending on how early on we are, encouraging someone to actually run against them because, you know, here we have a lot of uh, incumbents that go unchallenged. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you start something early enough, knowing that we're coming up on that season, you know, on election season, it might encourage someone to run. So therefore, us campaigning against someone actually serves them, you know what I mean? And so, you know, th those types of, uh, of campaigns are born. But, you know, that's just from an election standpoint. But it might not be in uh, the middle of an election season. Um, and so you have instances like what you may have, uh, you may recall in Euclid, where, you know, it was just time to disrupt. No business as usual. Stop ignoring the, the, the Stewart, the family of Luke Stewart. And you're going to address this shit. And so we shut down, you know, City Hall. We shut down their city council meeting. And that forced the police chief and the mayor to come out and talk to us and talk to the Stewart family and give them some answers and make some pledges. It also led to the officer being finally being taken off of duty because he was allowed to continue to run the streets during the course of a supposed investigation. 
So, you know, without them knowing if he was deemed fit for duty, they kept him out there, you know, without, you know, and that's unfair to the community. You know what I mean? But uh, anyway, um, sometimes that's the way we have to uh, have to attack it. It really just depends. If you recall um, during the uh, McGinty Must Go campaign, you can remember that, you know, not only did we do a series of things in front of the Justice Center, downtown, while we were in collaboration with other grassroots groups as well, so that there was a constant presence downtown, constantly giving negative press, you know, to Prosecutor McGinty uh, with regards to his treatment of the Tamir Rice case. But also, also what we were able to do, we marched to his home. So, you know, we pissed off his neighbors. You know, we pissed him off. Um, and we were a bother because you have to understand, he lived in the middle of cop town. He was in the cop neighborhood of uh, Cam's Corner, you know, the cop neighborhood of uh, Cleveland. And so, mm. you know, all those things we do, we don't just do them. We don't protest for the sake of protesting. Believe me, it is very strategic. But with, with sharing you all, all of that, no two actions are alike. You know what I mean? We, we, it's just about doing an assessment and also just being prepared to make impromptu decisions and kind of work on the fly. If you recall, uh, well, during the McGinty campaign, I don't think I give credit enough to um, one of our founding members, Ryan, who is not, no longer here. But it was, in fact, her decision during um, which, during the time in which we were going for uh, Tim McGinty's jugular, that uh, she said, while we were trying to uh, lobby and, and get folks not to endorse McGinty, so we went to the Democratic Party's executive committee meeting, and we got a lot of folks saying, yeah, you know, with that they weren't going to indict him. I mean, they weren't going to, uh, to approve him or, in, or endorse him, rather. And so right there on the fly, Ryan said, uh-uh, tell them not to endorse uh, O'Malley either. And so we told him, don't endorse O'Malley. That wasn't my decision. You know what I mean? Um, I'd love to take credit for it, but it was, it was a genius decision on her part. And what she did, uh, what she was able to do was basically she created this opportunity to be more engaged by both candidates, but particularly O'Malley. So now, you know, O'Malley's not getting a party endorsement. It's going to be a lot harder, a lot more work he's going to have to do. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it's because you know how that works. You get put on that. That, that, that paper showing all the endorsed candidates and a lot of people take that as the Bible and that's what they walk down to the polls. So we eliminated that. And in doing so, you know, we had access to O'Malley and O'Malley was like, you know, just, he, he was really accessible. You know what I mean? He was really accessible, um, had some pretty damn candid conversations with him. Um, other folks, you know, took that opportunity that we helped to create. Um, and I notice I say help to create because, you know, got a lot of folks that say, oh, we did that. You know what I mean? And they, but, you know, it was, it was definitely a group effort. I mean, only one group is responsible for the part in which I'm speaking of. That's us. But 
we know that that was one part of the entire thing that just, you know, made things work out uh, against McGinty. And anyway, um, you know, it just, it really, it just changed things. And it just, um, O'Malley, I think it made him a lot more humble. You know what I mean? Um, it, it, it humbled him and he knew he wasn't going to get in without that black vote, period. And if you look, if you remember looking at how they drew it up, you saw that it was the black vote that got him in because they were pretty much neck and neck in all the areas, in all the white areas, except for in the black areas. The black areas were that deep green, which represented, you know, O'Malley. And you saw in the white areas were, um, was Tim, that was Tim McGinty. And so you saw a whole lot of, light green which means they were you know what i mean was mixture but then all that dark green was east side you know what i mean and you know it was yeah so like you know that stuff happened but that was i think a big part of that came from some just some on the fly brilliant decision making so you know and that's kind of how we work you know what i mean but the one thing that remains consistent is that we're not for sale and we're not aligned with any um, political person, you know what I mean? So we're not beholden to anybody. So that means that you might be our friend today, but if you're not doing right by the community, chances are you won't be our friend tomorrow. And I wanted to, uh, can you, I, I know that it's more uh, Latonya Goldsby that, that handles, that works with families, but can you talk a bit about the, the process for when, when you're approaching a family who, who, whose name you want to hold up at an action? So a lot of times they'll reach out. Um, Latonya's really on it when it comes to folks reaching out to our email or to our messenger service on Facebook. But, you know, sometimes folks just call because folks in the community have our numbers and so they'll just directly reach out. So, you know, sometimes even I get those calls, but mostly they go through Tanya. And Tanya, you know, as well as just the organization, you know, the approach is, is just, you know, if they reach out, how do you want us to help you? Just what do you want? Because, you know, their lost loved one is more than a hashtag. We don't own it. You know what I mean? We don't want to own it. And we don't want to do anything that's going to misrepresent or upset the family. And we definitely don't want to do anything that's going to perhaps um, throw a monkey wrench in any future civil litigation as well. So, you know, we're very strategic and we just, we support. And that's what we're there to do is just provide support and uh, in doing so, sometimes support looks like um, pounding the pavement. Um, sometimes it looks like showing up at somebody's house, you know, and other times it looks like blocking the interstate. But, you know, and, and doing it in those folks' names or um, having a rally in front of second district having a rally in front of first district, you know, it, you name it, but it's like, what, what do you want as a family? How do you want us? You want us, is it that you want to bring media attention? Is it that you're demanding answers? Is it that you're demanding that officer to be fired, to be laid off, like, or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, once we get an assessment 
you know, of what's needed and what's wanted by the family, you know, then, you know, we just explain to them, okay, these are some of the methods that will probably be used. Are you okay with that? And with us doing this in your loved one's name. And when they give the go ahead, we go do what we do. And, you know, and we coordinate with them when they want to show up at a certain action so they can be present as we lift up that loved one's name. And uh, because like, you know, in the end, it's not the BLM show. It's not the Latanya show. It's not the Ryan show, the Chris show or Kareem show. You know, it's about the family. Same as it was during um, one of our last uh, gatherings, rallies, uh, events, which was in front of Second District. We were, you know, uplifting the family of Desmond Franklin, you know. And, uh, you know, it was... I think that's what it's about. I mean, you'll notice that there are, you know, some things where we weren't there. It's because the families didn't reach out or if we extended or reached out to the family and they did not want to, um, they didn't really want us out there on those streets about it. We honored the family. You know what I mean? Because, you know, that stuff is going to bring media attention and that stuff is traumatic, you know, and we're not going to be a part of, you know, folks having to suffer because, you know, it's, it's all a part of like, you know, it's, it might be a small part, but it still can also be a part of like the murder porn that is, you know, the lives of black people in the media now, you know what I mean? Like everything is about the life and death of someone in the media at the hands, you know, oftentimes or too many times at the hands of law enforcement. But, and you know, you get to see this footage, you get to see these pictures you know, of, of these dead bodies and, and, you know, and that, you know, and these rallies oftentimes can kind of accompany those, you know, and in a negative way for the families. And so if they don't want it, we don't do it. Um, yeah. I, and I appreciate it, it. Actually, it was the, the justice for Desmond action. Um, you released a, a, a pretty strong statement Um calling out other events that quote turned into barbecues with cops. And, and I was just curious what prompted that if you're, if it's because I know that's the sort of event you were describing in the statement and and I'll link to that in the footnotes um, was it it seemed to apply to a lot of different uh, things I had seen nationally and stuff like that. But is there, and and that was how we first came into contact was, um, you know, and I was digging into this, unauthorized Tamir Rice event, which some people have pushed back on me and said like, well, you unauthorized as far as does, you know, is anyone ever allowed to invoke the name of a police victim without the right of their parents? And I would say, well, no, I don't think they have the right to necessarily be that proxy, but the way that this was done in the park on the day claiming that he, uh, the organizer had affiliation with Tamir and didn't a lot of that, I mean, specific to, you know, I, I, undermined it in my in my opinion and gave it less credibility but i was wondering if um you're you're is this a problem you're seeing in cleveland or especially in this moment right now with actions that um seem very i guess placating would be the uh, the word or and 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 not really pointed or confrontational and um it's interesting i wanted to ask you about an event just last night that i went to in um in my neighborhood in university heights 
and it, the the organizers were all you know they they're, the the they were all really um, passionate and they they really did speak um, from the heart and we but the whole event was coordinated with the city we marched from one spot around up Cedar all the way over to the city hall and then um, our mayor and, and some city council members were waiting there and the the organizers all spoke um, passionately but it was you know and it was but it was about sort of like more overarching systemic issues um, frustrations with just like the long haul issues that black Americans have had to deal with but it lacked some of that specific pointedness and the real takeaway that they were pushing was um, we need everyone to vote and go to city council meetings and hold the city council officials um, uh, hold them to the fire so to speak and be more engaged and I'm not against any of that um, but then um, the one thing that really was surprising at the event, this woman was just passing by. She was shopping. She lives in East Cleveland. She was walking by to her car, back to her car, and saw the the protest going on. And she had to step up and interject um, the name of Kenneth Smith, who I I had never heard his story, um, and I, I looked into it. And I was really appreciative that she stepped up and did that. But so I guess like my my only like look, when I look at this event it didn't have that um, like these are things we're demanding of our city because they would have saved the life of someone like Kenneth Smith or such and such. Um, so that's my criteria for kind of like looking at event or I'm always looking for that, that strong like ask. And I spoke to the organizers afterwards about like, do you guys have sort of in the back of your minds, what would be like your minimum demand and what's your maximum like is the minimum like we need to get rid of uh prosecutorial uh, uh qualified immunity or is it you know s some some areas it might be they just want body cams i don't know but uh, uh i just wanted your take on that uh, based on 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 your statement against other actions that 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 you felt weren't as uh effective or or direct so you know, it, here's the thing. So here's the thing. The, um, like in Cleveland Heights, I, I think that there could have been a more, um, like tailored approach. Like, you know, like me knowing about Cleveland Heights, one of the things that I definitely would have addressed just is, for example, how it's a bit segregated. You know, particularly when it comes to the schools, we know on which part the decent schools are, and what, you know what I mean. So, like, you know, because I recall, so I help folks, you know, um, look for homes sometimes because I'm all about um, folks, you know, home ownership, and I try to promote home home ownership, you know, to people. And uh, so, one of the things that um, I do is like you know i'll sometimes kind of walk folks through you know kind you know help them you know things of that nature and one of the things that i recall was looking at um the ratings of the schools and i saw how the elementary schools were rated and on what side of town they were and i just i could see the difference and so 
it, it gave a false impression of the school district in and of itself because it, you know, one is lacking. And so it kind of brings the average down a little bit, but you know, for the city, but you look, if you looked at the particular school, you'd see that this school was great. This one wasn't. And so, you know, I just, I think about that. And that's an issue. If I were in Cleveland Heights, I'd be bringing up because, you know, we know that, you know, the key to, the key to uh, ending of a lot of things like such as uh, poverty, you know, um, and a lot of systemic inequalities, you know, starts with education. And, you know, and, and a lot of things happen within the education or within the school, you know, like, you know, providing meals, things of this nature, you know, just, you know, programs and, and you know, certain programming and such. And so I think that that was a missed opportunity to hold those elect elected officials, you know, to account for how they would let, you know, one part, you know what I mean, be underserved as opposed to another part of that, of, of uh, Cleveland Heights. So, I mean, but that's just how, you know, we um, over at BLM, you know, me and my peers, that's just how we roll. That's how we think, you know what I mean? We wouldn't take a missed opportunity you know, like that when you've got them there. But to um, to bring this, you know, more home, I would, so here's the thing, like, we definitely, definitely feel like that, I think you might have even seen it in the post. A lot of folks are taking advantage of the situation. You know what I mean? Right now there's this heightened sensitivity a heightened sense of contribution and activism that is coming from folks and uh, folks are taking advantage of that. So they misrepresent sometimes, you know, purposely, you know, sometimes folks are kind of vague and ambiguous on purpose, you know, and uh, you know, and they're hoping that you think they're legit. Um, it brings me what, one of the things that I see, like, you know, there was an event in Lakewood, you know, I was, there's no way I was going to support that. There was no way LaTanya was going to support that. You know, I remember her sending me the link, like, did you see this? I'm like, yeah. And I, you know, just, we just shook our heads about it because, you know, it was just an excuse for folks to gather together, you know, out on the lawn, listen to some music and just like have their own little version of Woodstock. You know what I mean? And, you know, just... It had nothing to do with, you know, the movement. And, but it was just, but the city would allow that gathering because it was up, up under the, you know, uh, like it was supposed to be like a protest. You know what I mean? And in this climate, you know, attaching, you know, BLM to it the way that they did um, made them folks say, you know what, I'm not going to touch that one. And so they let it happen. And I think folks are, when they do that, they're taking advantage of it. One of the things that I notice with that one as well as others, if, and, I, and I said this online, you want to know if something, if an event is garbage, and if you want to know that the people that are hosting that event are garbage, one of the telltale signs or dead giveaways is when they have to make the announcement on there, this is a peaceful whatever, peaceful protest, peaceful rally, you know, 
they are automatically distinguishing, trying to distinguish themselves from the other folks, other folks like me who are doing legitimate protests and so forth. It's not like we're saying, hey, come on out. Let's be violent. Let's tear yeah. some shit up. But, you know, they're, they're operating off of the premise that there's an assumption or if there's a given that, hey, we're not those people. Those people over there have a propensity for violence. You know what I mean? And it's, so it's playing into that. And it, it's, it sucks that they do that. But since they want to make the distinguishment, you know, I'm going to further it along. Right. They're garbage. Plain and simple. And they're doing it for their own little reasons to, to get money or to just have something fun to do. And, you know, because they want to, it's something about, there's an allure about leading folks or speaking in front of a bunch of folks. Some, some folks love that stuff. Believe it or not, I'm an introvert, but I got it. I feel compelled to do it. So I do it and I, I challenge my fears, but it's an opportunity and they just take advantage. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, I just want to know, do you, I also think it seems like to some extent there might be an element of sort of the Democratic Party trying to get their hands around this. Definitely. And, I'm sorry. Turn it into a, an electoral funnel, but also just bring the temperature down back to like, okay, like, or that's the sense I got of the event yesterday. It's like, um, especially with, with how the mayor spoke and said like, you know, we're I think he had, uh, and the commitments he had were, um, as far as addressing this on, on an official capacity, um, he spoke about joining Obama's mayor's pledge, which I, you know, I looked into and it appears to be, it's in a commitment to set up like civilian re review boards and um, to make changes, but nothing like hard or specific, you know, it's sort of like just a, we're, we're going to commit to listen and, and his, his sort of big takeaway was like, you know, well, we're, we're better than we were in 1776 and then we were better in 1860 and we were better in 1964 and we're better and we'll be better in 2020. Um, and it's that sort of like, well, we're getting there slowly. And I, for me, I've sort of just internalized the urgency of people who are, are just feel like they're any, they can get murdered at any moment under the status quo and telling them to just hold on as opposed to like, maybe this is the time to like, really like, do some things or demand some some strong changes that will save lives right now the difference is like you know there, there's not that sense of urgency because you know for 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 the for the many of these decision makers their their, their um parting greeting to someone um is or salutation to someone as they part is not be safe. You understand that is something that we as black and brown people find ourselves saying, and it's so common. I mean, you know, I can just meet someone and they say the same thing that I say, you know, Hey, be safe. What does that mean? You know what I mean? I don't hear that amongst other peoples. You know what I mean? And, and, and especially not in that way. And that's because there's this, painful reality that, you know, in five minutes from now, just driving down the street, 10 minutes from now, just going out to check the mail, just going to the store, um, just going to school, going to work, your life can be taken, snuffed out, um, 
that's our reality. So, you know, for folks who's that's not their reality, they don't have that sense of urgency. So they're okay with, hey, we're better than we were 20 years ago. And, you know, we're getting there. You know, that's coming from folks that don't have that same sense of urgency because their survival is not dependent on it. But I will say this, that, you know, those are fire brigades, like they're there to put out fires, you know, and uh, that's what they do. And, you know, I'm definitely against those types of gatherings um, because like right now, there's a heightened sensitivity. Folks are awake. You know, these politicians are out there trying to put them back to sleep with that crap. be careful of those 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 rallies where folks are wanting to hug cops and 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 kneel with cops and things of that nature because a hug they they're hugging and kneeling with you today but tomorrow you know they are you know harassing or worse you know another person of color especially when they gauge them by their appearance and figure they don't know anybody you know what I mean? They're not. There's not going to be any repercussions to what I do to this person. Um, and as they attempt to strip this person of the one thing that they have, because you know, so many of us we have very little. You might think that we have something, but we we have very little. And the one thing that we have is our dignity. And so when you have a law enforcement officer who is trained in de-escalation, well, if he's trained in de-escalation, that means he knows how to escalate because he knows just do the opposite. And so you try to take our dignity by saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things, or approaching things in the wrong way. You escalate a situation, and we're not going to let you take our dignity. That's how I am. That's when I and why I don't know when to shut up, according to some folks. And that's because, you know, so many things have been taken away from me, my freedom. You know what I mean? I've lost you know, so much, uh, you know what I mean? I lost my first family. You know what I mean? I've lost so much. The one thing, you know, we've lost a loved one, you know, to, to gun violence, you know? Um, here's something I think, you know, I'm, I've got some, I can exercise some control over. And so I'm going to be very reluctant to give the one thing up that I have is my fucking dignity. And those cops know that, you know, they call it having an attitude. It's not an attitude, man, you know, and, and, and hence, you know, the issues, you know, that we have. And I'm pretty sure on all the list of demands from things that we need from police uh, in terms of it, it, a hug and or, or kneeling isn't really, <laughs> hasn't really come up. I was like, you know what? It made me feel better about my my cousin that that was murdered. Is that if I could just get a hug from the cops, but no promises to do anything better, you know? Yeah. What I mean? And you know, and then here it is. You know, a week later, somebody else gets killed. Sure, glad we got that hug. You know what I mean? It, it's it, yeah. it's crazy. So, no, it's ridiculous. So- I guess um, my last question for you would be what what are your greatest hopes and maybe your darkest fears for for this movement we're here right now? Because it really I think we're both talking about how when there's people trying to harness the energy for themselves or just to push people away from more radical actions and into electoralism, like you said, to put out those fires in them. 
Um, it can go a lot of different ways right now, and I'm curious what what you're hopeful for and what you're fearful of. Well, that's easy. So, you know, I'll start with the the fearful part. I'm very fearful of the fact that, you know, there will be enough of a, 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 an effort to actually tamp down, you know, the the activism, you know, uh, around the country that's actually, you know, like just because like we feed off of each other, each state, each city around the country is feeding off of the other. And so as you have a, 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 a president who is like, sees folks getting killed, uh, see, you know, he has no desire to say, let me do something about this, but he's worried about protesters. And so now he wants to get, you know, get laws passed regarding protesters and, um, you know, uh, Confederate statues and things of this nature, you know, to protect those. So like that's, you know, it's, it's material. That's where, where his concerns are. And, you know, so they're doing things to crack down on us. Um, around the country. So, you know, you have to look at that. And I'm, ho I'm hoping that, you know, folks are going to remain vigilant, keep taking to those streets. Um, but I don't want them to do it at the t expense of their life, you know? Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, things don't get that bad that they just actually go ham and just try to destroy people's, you know, freedom to protest. But, uh, you know, because that's definitely going to stop a lot of this uh this movement work you know and you know but it also could make things worse because you know once folks start getting killed you know what i mean as a result things can take a really bad turn and uh you know i really don't want to see that happen um and but the good the hope that i have is that i've seen enough people you know here in cleveland you know we you know, we've been beating this drum for years and just like in other cities. And it seems that enough folks around, you know, in cities around the country have the same doggone approach. And they said, you know what, if we're going to do anything about this, we got to stop asking cops to stop killing us. We've got to stop, you know, basically just marching and not having a purpose. We've got to have a, you know, a two and three and four pronged approach. And so we're attacking policy. You know what I mean? We are attacking legislation. We're going against qualified immunity. We're going against an, um, the collective bargaining agreement. And that's not just here in Cleveland. I'm so glad to hear, you know, that. But, you know, I would dare say that Cleveland was a big part of getting that conversation going on around the country, you know? And uh, and I'm hoping that Cleveland is going to be a template for others and just how it's done, you know, because, you know, Black Lives Matter was able to uh, partner with and get the commitment from the Cleveland uh, Municipal, I'm sorry, Cleveland Metropolitan Bar Association. And they're committed to uh, working against that uh, qualified immunity, trying to, you know, get rid of that shit and also uh, to dismantle the uh, collective bargaining agreement, which 
is helping cops to get a, get away scot-free. Like they don't even lose their jobs, you know? And so, you know, getting that commitment, I think is key. So I have a lot of hope because that's the long, you know, when we talk about systemic changes, that's how you change it. You know what I mean? We got to change the laws, change the rules. And then we start to change the culture when, when folks are starting to be held accountable. Yeah. Well, my hope and my hope for this, my biggest hope is that people just recognize, you know, the how analogous our police department and the grotesque uh, size of their budget and, 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 and control over our daily lives, so to speak, how that's a, just a perfectly mirror image of what's going on with um, our, our military, our oversized military and, right. and seeing this bubble up to that and this, yeah. And, and, and I, I have that hope and I have, I think I share the same fears as you is like where things could go. Um, and the last thing I just want to ask, is there anywhere you would want to um, point listeners to uh, as far as how they could support and other organizations that, that you like to partner with that you, you think uh, could really use people's time, attention, and money? So, I mean, well, yeah, most definitely. So, you know, um, I would definitely ask folks, I know it's kind of trending a bit, but, you know, the Bell Project, definitely, because the Bell Project's doing great work. Um, you know, I, I know, I don't know if folks are aware of, for example, the, um, jail coalition, which is the Cuyahoga County, um, you know, jail coalition where they fight, uh, fight the fight against the inhumanity in the county jail. But those folks definitely, because they've been doing great work, sustained great work for over a year and helping to keep attention on what was going on in the county jail when it was really when it first started becoming widely known about the number of deaths that were there. And, you know, while they won't give it credit, that's partly a big part of why you saw a lot of changes start to happen over at the county jail. You know, they're a big part of that. They kept beating that drum, but they're definitely a great organization. You have the Northeast Ohio Black Health Coalition, another great, great organization. Um, and then you've got uh, Black Lives Matter Cleveland. Hey, Ed. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, you can, you know, we, we post regularly um, our, our link, like, so we're in, uh, we, we just became a 501c3. Um, so we'll soon have that information um, to be able to, to, to pass on to folks um, as far as like, um, if they wanna keep things tax deductible um, but we also, if folks want to, we have uh, a PayPal account. And so if folks wanted to um, contribute to that, they could do that as well. Um, and it's the, I would, uh, that's the horrible thing. Like, I don't know that by heart. But uh, Well, you don't have to worry about reading that off. I'll go ahead and you send it to me and I'll put it in the footnotes and people can click it when they click it. Uh, and I'll, I'll I'll throw it up top in the intro. Um, okay, but yeah, I, well, I appreciate that. I and I appreciate you, brother. Oh, I appreciate everything you're doing so much, and um, I can't thank you enough for uh, doing the work you're doing and taking the time out to talk with me today. Awesome, man. I hope you have a great evening. You too. All right. <laughs>